This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. I'm Mark and I'm joined by our carefully assembled panel of Saints experts to discuss what's been a huge week following Southampton Football Club. Now, as always, we're streaming this episode of TSP Live on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, and it's also on our YouTube channel. If you're watching live on Facebook or YouTube this evening, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to the takeover news. And as we scramble to find out more about Sports Republic and the new owners, we speak to Billy Grant from the B. Brentford podcast to get the lowdown on one of the new faces. We'll also look back at the FA Cup tie with Swansea. And you know it's been a strange week when Shane Long scores the winner is not the big talking point on the podcast. We're also going to preview a busy week ahead with Brentford visiting St Mary's on Tuesday and the away trip to Wolves at the weekend. But first of all, let me introduce you to our regular TSP guests. Steve Grant is the owner of Saints Web. That's the independent Southampton FC website. How many pages is the takeover thread up to you now, Steve? Is this a new record? Um, it's well, it's nowhere nowhere near the old uh, Pompey takeover thread, that's for sure. Um, which which I, I think was running for about must have been running for about ten years. Eventually, I had to I had to close it because it was actually breaking the database. Um, <laughs> The, the comedy that 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 was providing year on year um but no i mean yeah I mean, obviously obviously it's been been a busy week plenty to talk about but to be honest it's been it's mostly positive because at the moment it's very difficult to kind of dig into into these guys background and find too many kind of even yellow flags let alone red flags hmm. so yeah it's been it's been yeah, interesting week, all told. Good. Glenn Delacourt is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten. Have you spotted Gareth Bale house hunting in Hedgen yet, Glenn? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> surprisingly enough, I, I can't imagine. Uh, can't imagine he'll be uh, queuing up to play the municipal at Southampton Sports Centre anytime soon. So uh, no, haven't seen uh, Gareth anywhere nearby. But uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously the takeovers are. Uh, a talking point from this week and uh yeah i've written i've written a bit about it and dan's written absolutely loads about it mm. put, the rest, put the rest of us to shame which i'm sure he's <laughs> going to tell us about in a minute but uh but other than that we've had um i've had a sort of relatively quiet week with um got covid concerns in the house at the moment so it's all a bit all a bit rubbish at the moment so uh, i myself am, am negative like the majority of our fan base but uh, my negatives are good my, my, my negative my negatives a good thing at the moment <laughs> Uh, Dan Sheldon is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Can you remember a busier start to a new year, Dan? No, I don't, I don't think so. No, <laughs> have you stopped no. working this week. Have you just been writing stuff every day? It's just, and even like yesterday was just like, <laughs> just a nightmare. Like the last thing you want is you know you just go there, you think right, okay, one nil up after eight minutes. Like this will be two or three nil. They are way in control. I'm sure we're going to get onto the game, and then you think two hours later, it's like. <laughs> 
freezing cold. You're sat there. Kelvin Davis has very kindly turned around and thrown me a pair of gloves because he could see I was absolutely freezing. And yeah, just a nightmare. <laughs> um, at least, at least you didn't actually have to write a match report. No, that's true. There that we go. True. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as always, the biggest hello and thank you is reserved to our patrons. So uh, wherever you're listening and watching this week, welcome to episode 182 of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda LaCour and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. So let's start with the big news this week, shall we? Southampton Football Club has announced Cyberlinks International College as the latest addition to its portfolio of academy <laughs> partners. No, I'm joking. Uh, the big I news this week, of course, <laughs> that was second. Uh, the big news this week is that Sport Republic has completed the acquisition of a controlling stake in Southampton Football Club. Lots of headlines entered the dragon, marching on the dawn of a new era. Uh, it was a busy day on Tuesday. Dan, you've probably been closer to this than all of us. So what did you make of it? all uh, when did you get wind of it how busy was it for you on on Tuesday yeah so I think throughout the kind of the last 18 months really the the takeovers probably dominated my life more than any kind of topic at, at Southampton for, for me it was really the only story in town transfers are, are all well and good but really the big one the one the supporters cared about you know, that for me it was always takeovers so I kind of made it my mission to find out as much as possible all the time and first got well I, I reported in December that they were essentially down to two um, and that there was, you know, it, people had said to me that it could be done by the end of the year. And to be honest, this was done by the end of the year. It was just a case of let, let's leave it in the draw. A few of you had to, you know, dot the I's and, and cross the T's and then announce on January the 4th. So this was pretty much there by December the 31st and got wind. It was definitely going to happen and all coming out kind of, yeah, about 24, 36 hours before it did. And then you're, it's that horrible thing. So I didn't sleep really the night before because you're just thinking like, this is like 18 months now of kind of everything and it's all going to, and then you're trying to protect, you know, you can't run with it, that story because you're protecting the people who have told you and you're seeing it come out on sky. And it's like, well, I, I know like it, it, you see, like you just know it's going to happen and you think, well, do I go with it and, you know, burn sources and then not trust me anymore or do you just sit on it and you might not be first but you'll always be kind of accurate second on it and I chose for the latter because I think I'd rather you know 10 more stories than than no more and it was when I was told as soon as I, I was told the players and Ralph know that's when I was kind of saying I can't really sit on it now because mm. you know there are a lot of people connected to players it you know all it takes is one and then if they take someone else so that's when I ran with it is when as soon as I found out the players were told, I was like, right, let's just do it because it's going to come out now. And then, yeah, it was just a, a crazy kind of crazy kind of day to be in it. It was enjoyable. Uh, and yeah, it's just just a, a manic kind of weird thing. I woke up on Wednesday morning and really thought, like, what do I do now? <laughs> That's how I felt. And then straight I was reminded by all these other things I have to do. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. Really enjoyable. Good. Uh, no one knows if this announcement will prove a good thing in the short term or the long term, really. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But you seem quite optimistic this week, Glenn, um, writing in your blog. Cautiously optimistic, okay. because you can you can never tell how good an ownership is until you're a couple of years down the line and you see how things work out. Everyone's got good intentions. Everyone's saying the right things at the moment. But, you know, you've got basically three new guys who are going to be having a say now. I like the fact that they're talking about evolution rather than revolution because it's not as if everything is completely broken. So hopefully they're identifying the parts of the club that are working well and, you know, we go from there. But, you know, as far as we know, as we stand at the moment, Martin Simmons is still in place. Toby Steele's still in place. Ralph is still in place as manager. You just got to hope all these characters, you know, get along and, and, and things work out. But, um, but, you know, just as an example of being being cautious, I mean, I remember when when Gal came in, there were some people chucking around, you know, oh, we've got, we got the Chinese millions. We're, you know, it's going to be great. And, of course, that didn't work out because the, the rules all changed. And even, and even with Marcus Lieber, everything was going great for the first year. And then, unfortunately, he passed away. And that changed the dynamic, which basically started the all the events that led to Gal taking over in the first place because Katharina Lieber didn't want to maintain 100% control of the club sort of thing so so I don't get sort of overexcited I think a healthy dose of cynicism from supporting science for as long as I have but um, 
you can only sort of judge what's in front of you and and it, and it, it looks it looks good so far so um so yeah we'll 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 just have to um it's 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 boring and it's a cliche but we'll just have to um see how it goes but i did watch the moneyball film yesterday because i've never seen it before so i want to <laughs> do a do a bit of research because that that seems to be uh something that the new guys are very keen on all the data analytics stuff which is um served brentford well and i'm sure we're going to come on to that later yeah what did you make of the news this week steve um i think to be honest it's good to kind of get all the speculation and uncertainty kind of parked to one side finally because I mean as Dan said is in one of his uh, pieces this week it's been two years in the making and it's been a case of well it could be done tomorrow or it could just never get done at all um so to finally get it get it over the line is good and yeah I mean as as we say the the kind of CV of um particularly Ankerson who's I would imagine is going to be kind of front and center of of the whole thing um from a from a club perspective i mean his cv stacks up um against anybody um in terms of uh sort of small uh small to medium-sized clubs um punching way above their weight and that's i mean it's, it's a position that we've that we've managed to get ourselves into before and we've and we've succeeded really well with it but like the last few years kind of hampered ourselves in many ways because of our own kind of sort of kind of taken our eye off the ball to an extent I think I think we got a little bit comfortable in our in our kind of role as the model club for every every other middle league club to follow and everyone else kind of went shooting past us saw what saw the stuff that we the things that we did well and thought well we can we can do those and throw a bit more money into the into the mix as well and all of a sudden they go shooting past um, and we've kind of stagnated a little bit but managed to keep our head above water and as a result now hopefully it should be kind of posit- positivity for the next couple of transfer windows at least and then and then we find out that that uh, they've got no interest either so um <laughs> <laughs> nah, um we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes at the end of the day as i say these these guys look uh look fine on paper but I mean, as, as we always say, football's, football's not played on paper, so we'll see. And Dan, you've written a number of articles about it this week. The one that I think blew me away was the amount of potential buyers that had presented themselves to the club um, over the two years. That was that was a staggering number. Yeah, and to be fair, we left two or three out that I, I also knew were for legal reasons. <laughs> so, yeah, it, there were... Um, was it 25? Around 25 sort of came forward, which is a fairly decent number and then kind of on average these things half of those you sort of sit down with and half of those are are quite serious and when I was talking about those figures I we've got my colleague of mine Matt Slater at The Athletic he's kind of all over takeovers and I I gave him a a message like look I've got this information does this sound about right I believe in it but is this kind of normal and he was like yeah that's of what I hear that kind of is standard that you'll have a big number half of them you sit down with the other half disappear and half of those are ones you really sit down with and kind of talk properly it's a remarkable insight it really is the other thing that it's probably worth talking about glenn is the fact that it looks like martin simmons and, and ralph harson who are going to continue at the moment so many times a new owner comes in new broom and all that new manager is that important do you think at the moment that stability and keeping those 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 guys in those key positions well definitely i mean when we you know i was talking about cautious optimism the fact that martin simmons has basically been working on this for two years and he's made the decision to bring in these guys. I mean, who made the decision to bring Gowin? Was that um, Ralph Kruger involved in that? Or, um, you know, so, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Time, wasn't it? yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, without wishing to go over old ground, I never thought much of Ralph Kruger, whereas Martin Simmons has never done anything but but impressed me with this, with, you know, with the stuff that he said and and done so far. So the fact that he's involved in it, and has been involved in the last two years. That gives me an element of confidence as well. I think it's I think it's very important for for him to stay in place. And you know, in my opinion, the the manager situation it, it ain't broke at the moment. I think he's doing pretty well. I know there are some people that don't think that, and that's fine. That's uh, it's fine for you to have that wrong opinion if you want it. But um, <laughs> I don't I don't see the you know I don't see the need to. Um, to, to change anything there and yeah I'm 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 happy that it um that it continues but you know Ralph Ralph will know that whereas Martin Simmons might have been incredibly tolerant with him you know we got beaten on nil twice at the end of the day you guys might not be so tolerant so there there is a little bit more pressure on Ralph because of because of the unknown he doesn't he doesn't know who 
you know he doesn't know his boss as well as he as he knew him before the takeover so uh, but again i th- i think he'll welcome that and i i think it's um you know i think it, it can only be a good thing we need to be moving forwards because as steve was saying earlier we haven't really moved anywhere in the last four years, we've done that mm. classic thing of standing still. So therefore, you go backwards. That's that's kind of what we've been doing, and um, and yeah. So I'm 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 happy with the with the shakeup. Really, I think one of the quotes, Steve, from from Martin Simmons was, "Today we found the perfect solution for our club." Does it feel like it to you? Yeah, I think so. I think realistically, we were never likely to be sort of talked about in the same bracket as I mean the the obvious sort of news story of the day with. Um, with Newcastle, we were never likely to be involved in a takeover of that magnitude. But certainly, the 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 backing that that this this Serbian Serbian fella seems to have is clearly substantial. And I mean, I don't know how much how much of it he's he's even looking to actually put into the club. There's there's been nothing nothing said on that. Not I don't think there's even been any speculation on on that as to how much he's can he's willing to kind of pony up himself. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as as we've said, I think there's there's a lot that's going on in the club that isn't broken, so therefore, kind of don't mess around with it too much. Maybe make some slight refinements and do maybe sort of look at uh, ways that you can. I mean, it's, the, it's this sort of mo- the modern the modern saying of marginal gains, isn't it? So if you can if you can eke out that one percent more by doing something ever so slightly differently. And Ankerson's got obviously got plenty of experience of this with mm. um from his time at both Mitchelland and Brentford. Then yeah, I, I think that's that's very positive going forward. And and it gives us it kind of kind of um focuses minds as well now. Um so we can now look forward. We don't need to um worry about um sort of ramifications of well who who was to blame for wasting that pot of money. Um, because now it looks as if um, certainly that that big debt that was hanging over us, the um, the loan from MSD, the secured loan, I think was probably hamstringing us to to a fairly large extent in terms of what we wanted to do squad wise. Whereas now, by the sounds of it, that may get. I don't think we could do it immediately, but I think that may get paid off at the first opportunity. Just to because you you'll save millions of pounds in interest by doing that as well. So I think I think if you've got the if you've got the backing to do it, then yeah, why not do it? We'll hear from a, a Brentford fan about Rasmus Ankerson in a minute. Go on, Dan. I was just going to maybe kind of raise an alternative view to the the MSD loan, and that's something that I've learned from speaking to kind of all different people in business throughout the whole sort of takeover process. And that my understanding is that there is a desire. So Southampton, to my knowledge, can't pay any of that money off until June because it's two years, they're kind of locked in for two years, and then you can start kind of chipping away. Of course, they could probably ring up tomorrow and pay it off. But like, if you pay your mortgage early, I think you probably get a penalty fee of some sort. So you don't, you don't do it. And what my colleague Matt taught me is that rich people don't mind debt, you know, debt to them is quite cheap. So Mm. you can look at it and you can think, right, okay, so they've got 80 million pounds. Now, let's say Sport Republic have 80 million pounds in the bank. I would I would I would be more surprised if they chose to pay that all off. I would be less surprised if they said, right, okay, well, let's pay, I'm making these figures up, 10, 15 million pound off in June. And I know of several companies already that are kind of flush with cash and are saying to clubs, you know, you've got big loans on big interest. We can borrow you, we'll lend you money at a much lower rate, pay that off and then pay us off. So if you're the investor at that point, are you thinking, right, I've got all this money in the in the bank, I can pay 15 million off, take another loan, pay off the, the bigger interest one, and then kind of and then you have 65, 70 million pounds left in the pot that you can then go and invest. I would be less surprised if that's the route they took on the MS. I'd be shocked if they paid. I mean, they might do, they might just cut a check, but I would be surprised because I think you could look well for 80 million pounds, they might be able to go and buy two more clubs. Mm. And you know, the debt. As, as I still can't get my head around rich people like debt because it's cheap <laughs> to them. So that's what I would be. I think that's what they make. I'm not saying this on kind of based on what sources have said, but spoken to enough people involved in this sort of thing that they think that's what's more likely to happen. I guess we shall see in the summer. The other thing I just wanted to touch on, Glenn, was how would we look back at, at Mr. Glau and his tenure running the club? Was it just the the right person, wrong time, or just wrong person completely, or a I, man that was a bit out of his depth? I don't think you can say anything about it, really, because there's there's nothing sort of of any note to talk about. He came in, there was that initial 
oh, we've got a new owner. It, it's it's like someone who got thrown the football and has just stood there with it, holding it for four years. He hasn't done anything with it. You know, he's just, oh, look, look what I've got here. Um, sure, sure you get tackled eventually. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But he, he's just stood there. No, he's gone and hid somewhere, isn't he? I mean, you know, what I like about, you know, the three guys who come in is that there's a range of experience there. You've got, you've got the money man, the football man, and the other one who seems to be Henrik Kraft seems to be an investment advisor type of guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's invested in sports and technology. So there's a broad range of experience there. We didn't know what we were getting with with Gao. With you know, he's the money man. We had his his daughter showed her face a couple of times and you know said a couple of things, but nothing nothing substantial. And and so th- there's really nothing you can say about him. He's I mean he's he I think he's turned up to a couple of games, maybe one game. Yeah. Do you remember when you know when our friends down the road had their had their owner that didn't exist? It, it's a it's a little <laughs> bit like it, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? And there's nothing you except, can say about except it. He, except he didn't nearly make our club go um, completely disappear. No, no but, but Gow is um, yeah, he's kind of been and he's gone. He's not been the worst owner in the world. Yeah, I but, think the statement said it all. Didn't you? Know, we wish him and his family well, and that's all we can do, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know? thanks yeah, very much. It, it's just it's just something we've he's been here. We've got through it. And we're now out the other side and he won't be remembered really yeah. because there's nothing to remember. I mean, people will remember more about Rupert Lowe, Marcus <laughs> Lieber. They'll remember more about even like Martin Wilde and Leon Crouch and people who weren't there very long because, Lord, yeah. because there's just nothing to, nothing to say about him really. I'm sure he'll remember Southampton and the money he lost. <laughs> I'm sure that... Sure that's his that problem. That's to. his problem. That's that's not us. <laughs> um, Dan, quick question for you. James, who's watching, says there's talk of a, a stable of clubs. Have we got any idea which clubs, countries could be involved? I know you sat down with, with Martin Simmons this week and, and that was one of the things that you spoke to him about. Yeah, he didn't kind of say too much really about that. Uh, I think from a, another conversation, Europe, I mean, that's very vague, obviously, but Europe, I think to them, is seen as very good for the kind of player pathway model but then at the same time america below obviously franchises are mega expensive in america but you know you can get kind of a tier or two below the mls and they're not so expensive i think they quite like the u.s market and i'm really conscious now that whatever i say is going to be on one of them aggregator accounts like sport republic iron club in the u.s i'm not saying that at all <laughs> like i think that would be an attractive market i think someone put two and two together and said oh they must be looking at one in denmark because they're both obviously danish so i mean you don't know europe yes i reckon definitely america possibly in a few years time i think would be a really exciting market for them to look at then you've kind of got you know asia wherever really it's kind mm. of that horrible cliche the world is if they've got the money the world is their kind of it's oyster, their oyster. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I've, I've, I mean i've i've got a i've got an eye on a, a summer pre-season tour to to play red star and part of that to be honest <laughs> somewhere nice would be good wouldn't it uh, we'll get on to yesterday's match uh, against Swansea we'll preview the Brentford game as well Rasmus Ankerson is one of the names that we've been talking about today uh, he's the CEO of Sport Republic and he was the former Brentford director of football so earlier this week Ben Stanfield founder of the Total Saints podcast caught up with Billy Grant from the Be Sotted Brentford podcast Thanks, Martin. Yes, as you guys have already been discussing in this podcast episode, one third of the new Sport Republic ownership group is Dane Rasmus Ankerson. Prior to this new project, Rasmus has been operating as Brentford's co-director of football, a position he undertook with the Premier League club in 2015. One man who has met and interacted with him a lot during the six and a half years is Billy Grant from the besotted Brentford fanzine. And we're delighted to have Billy here with us now. Billy, firstly, welcome to TSP. Thanks for coming on to provide some first-hand insight on the Rasmus. Listen, thanks for inviting me as well. And like I said to you, it's a it's complete and utter coincidence that I end up having to speak to you a few days before the mighty bees come down to, to Southampton. I mean, I spoke to Rasmus, I think, last night and I just said to him, this is so typical that it's like, you know, you leave us and then within days of you leaving us, we're back again, like yeah. in each other's faces, you know. So it's one of those things. But listen, it is what it is. But like I said to you, we do the Besotted podcast as well. It's Pride of West London, And uh, we're going to get you guys on the on the Southampton preview podcast, which should be out on Sunday or Monday. And we're fingers Cross, we also might get Rasmus on there as well to kind of do like a bit of a little farewell kind of goodbye thing. So it's definitely worth checking it out. So bookmark that, everybody out there. So it could be a nice little surprise for you after the weekend. Fantastic. Well, we'll briefly touch on the, the game in a minute, um, Billy. But yeah, just as I sort of mentioned there, I mean, you've had the chance to get to know Rasmus the man over the time he's been with Brentford. So what's he like as a character and a personality? 
as Thomas Frank will say, he's a top, top bloke. He really is. I mean, I actually first met him in, uh, it was actually in the sort of summer of uh, 2014. It was when we went up. So it's a season that Mark Warburton was uh, was manager of Brentford, but there's a big falling out between uh, Mark Warburton and the owner at the time. And not going to go into too much, but basically what's happened is that they weren't seeing eye to eye. Mark Warburton wanted to go left. Our owner wanted to go right. And uh, including using, you know, the, all, all the stats stuff and everything like that. And Mark Warburton wanted to do it the old school way. So they, they they kind of sort of didn't see eye to eye. So we knew, even though we just had missed out on the playoffs, uh, we got to the playoff semi-final in our first yeah. season of the championship. which shocked everybody, including us. And uh, But we knew that Mark Warburton was on his way out. We had an end of season players ball. All the fans turned up to the players ball. And uh, all of a sudden I sort of saw this guy that was sitting there. And I think somebody said to me, you know, this guy, Rasmus, you should go over and chat to him. So I went over and sort of kind of said, right, how are you doing? And we talked about this recently because we did a podcast with Rasmus and Phil Giles in the pub. Uh, one of our besotted podcasts uh, we did at the end of last season. We yeah. invited Rasmus and the other director of football, Phil Giles, in. They sat down in the pub and I said to him, remember the first time I met you? And he goes, he goes, yes, I remember. You were playing detective. You were trying to work out what I was doing here. I wasn't trying to work out whether or not he was coming to replace Warburton or bring other people in because he was there and you knew that he was coming into Brentford somehow. Um, Matthew Benham had met him, I think, for his involvement in Denmark and uh, a number of the speeches that he'd done. And he was like a real motivated speaker and he was, met Rasmus in Denmark and Rasmus was involved with Michelin, which uh, Matthew Benham eventually took over. And I think he just really liked his open way of thinking and his, his left-fieldedness. I think it was within, you know, within a few months, he was actually installed as one of the co-directors of football. And it took probably about three or four years as we started to build as a club, as we started to get more players in, that Rasmus started to kind of sort of kind of show himself a little bit more, started to do more interviews. Um, Rasmus used to do a lot more of the interviews about what Brentford was about, you know, the way that we need to be. We haven't got the money of these bigger clubs, so we need to think on our toes. We need to do things differently. I hate the word blue sky thinking because it's so kind of old school, but you understand. But he was the person that used to talk about that kind of stuff. Um, I think Southampton was actually kind of quoted as a as a bit of a model for the way that you did your business. It's like you've got a very clear plan as to where you want to go and what you want to do. You've got a very clear plan of the style of football that you want to play. You have a very clear plan about the type of players that you want to sign. And I think what they spent a lot of time doing, and Rasmus has spent a lot of time doing, you know, with the club, is to try and create a really nice ethos throughout the whole club so that everybody from the sort of the fans to the coaching staff to the people that work in the back room to the people that work in the marketing department all are on the same page and they also understand where we want to go and it's taken us a long time to get to that stage and also Rasmus was very much involved in the B team the reason why I mention that is that it's just it shows his love for developing young players and, and it shows within our transfer policy you know that is a key stone as to what we do and Rasmus was the one that came in and did almost like a forensic analysis of the academy the pros and the cons how it's working so the idea they came up with was setting up the B team which was signing players who at the age of is it 17 who basically can sign adult contracts we'll yeah. pick them up and we'll sign them and we'll develop them and we'll give them a really clear pathway into the first team he's had a big role and like i said to you his profile's raised a lot in the last few years within the fan base within you know what he's been doing hailing him for saying oh what a fantastic bloke you know he's done really great for the club it's going to be really sad to see him go so that's kind of a yeah. that's the journey that Rasmus has had at Brentford FC. So I think even Brentford manager Thomas Frank was quoted over the last few days as saying uh, Rasmus is very intelligent and very good at his job. Billy, we will miss him. I would love it if he was here. And um, what's it been like sort of within Brentford? You know, I, I know he announced on Twitter, didn't he? And the club obviously communicated that he was going to be moving on and starting up this sports investment firm. So what's the reaction been like since Rasmus left? I mean, it's been fairly quiet because, you know, he announced it sort of kind of towards the back end of the year as well. And there's a lot of things that are happening. So I think there's a little bit of like, a, oh, no, are we going to be replacing him? With Brentford fans, we're, we've got past the panic stage. When we first sold our very first kind of in, in this new era decent player which is Andre Gray who he bought for 500 grand and then you know he scored 18 goals got us to the playoff semi-final and then within 12 months he was going to move on there's massive panic in the fan base oh no we're selling our player what are we going to do and Brentford said don't worry we'll get somebody better and we were like no you can't do that it's not going to happen and then the following you know then the next player that came along was Scott Hogan and he scored what 30 goals in about mm. two games and then Aston Villa came in for him we're like no no you can't sell him like you know and they said don't worry 
we'll get someone better. And they kept on doing that with, you know, with Lasse Vibe and then, when, and then he left and then Neil Malpe came and then he left and then Ollie, Ollie Watkins, Watkins came yeah. and Ben Rama. And so by the time all these players came, all the fans had calmed down a little bit and like, okay, we trust you now. So that's kind of cool. And there's a succession plan in place. Okay, that's cool. So I think with the Rasmus thing, people are gutted because we obviously don't want anything to change. But at the same time, you know, people have gone, well, I can't believe he's going to go without Brentford having a succession plan in place. Yeah. They're just not going to leave a hole because they're just not like that. So I think people are sad to see him go. He's a really nice bloke. And like I said to you, hopefully we're going to get him on our pod this week. But at the same time, we believe that Brentford will have a succession plan, which will mean that the, the, the it will be smooth. And I think also Rasmus going now, it's almost like, you know, in the way that he is, I think that he will sort of feel, I've done what I need to and I can with this club. I've got them from Division 3, in effect, to the Premier League, mm -hmm. okay? And they're financially successful, which I've been involved, helped in doing that and bringing the players in. And they've got an ethos, which is good. So I think for, as far as he's concerned, he's like, I'm going to move on. And I think the club is almost like we're at a level now where, yes, you know, if you move on, we know what the benchmarks are if somebody else is going to do it. Look, you explained some of this in your first answer, but as part of Sport Republic then, Billy, what do you think Rasmus can bring or offer to Saints that they might not already have? I mean, obviously, he's a great business person. You know, he's young, he's self-employed. You know, he does, he's got many strings to his bow. You see his TED Talks, you know. Uh, yeah. I think but the main thing is that he thinks out the box. And again, I know that's a bit of a cliche thing to say, but he thinks not like what other people think. Now, within football, that can be a problem because football is very traditional. So if you go into a club like, you know, maybe even like Aston Villa, probably like Everton, you know, you go inside there and you try and do something which is different, it may be very hard, you know. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to go into a club which is malleable enough to actually say, oh, I'll have a go at that. And that sometimes that happens at clubs who are at a lower level because at the end of the day, they've got nothing to lose. That's the main thing I think that Rasmus will bring to you as a person. I spoke to him, well, I think last night and I was chatting yeah. away to him and I sort of said to him like, you know, what are you going to do? You know, his companies are going to be investing in football clubs and esports and sports tech. Is it going to be the same as what you did with Brentford? And he says, you know, he's not going to operate Southampton like he's operated Brentford. He's going to leave that to your management team. So he's going to be much more hands-off. Yep. His job is more overseeing the investment for Sport Republic and um, building a sort of a multiple club system and making investments into sports tech. So that's kind of where it is. So it's going to be sort of very different within that. You see him sort of kind of taking a step back. Obviously, if he's got an interest in it, he's going to want you to do well. But I could see it more of him talking to you about how and what you should be implementing and what you should be doing to try and take Southampton into the kind of mid 21st century. I said to him, you know, are you going to be Brentfording Southampton to get you back on track? And he, he liked that. He said, oh, Brentfording. He goes, um, you know, he'll help you as much as he can. But, but it's like I said to you, it's not operational, you know, so he's not going to be buying and selling your players. You know, he's dealt with agents quite a lot. So um, he's going to be sort of more interested in doing things as an overseer and more in the back and, you know, making sure that things are running from an umbrella point of view. Mm. And that's sort of for us, we figured that's, that's kind of cool because he's uh, he's not going to be going in there and nabbing any of our players anytime soon. <laughs> and if he does, he knows how much they cost anyway. So Exactly. Well, no, it'll be interesting to see Winter. As I'm sure you guys will be keeping an eye on it. And I think as Saints fans, you know, we're excited by the impact that uh, the takeover group and the varied experience they've got. And as you say, bringing in some new ideas for, for Martin Simmons and his team to, to sort of think about. So thanks for the, the great insight on the Rasmus Billy. Um, look, just before we let you go, as you, you mentioned at the start, as is the way in football, Saints' first Premier League match since Rasmus and Co. took over is, of course, against his old club. Ahead of the guys previewing that later in the pod, what have you made of Brentford's debut in the Premier League so far? And how do you think next week's match might go? I'm delighted with our, our, our debut. I mean, you know, that Arsenal match. I mean, if you ask me if the season finished after that Arsenal match, you know, I'll be sitting there smiling. But um, no, it's been great because, you know, there's no barometer when we came into this league. So even though, you know, we knew we had some good players and we'd been, again, Rasmus and, and team and Phil and Benno and everyone have been planning for this for, for six years. It's like it didn't come out of the blue. So they, just, they knew as soon as we come to the Premier League, this is what we're going to do. This is the type of player that we're going to buy. This is the style that we're going to play. You know, they knew exactly what they were going to do. But since then, like I said to you, you know, winning at West Ham in the last minute, the game against Liverpool was possibly one of the best games that I've seen at a live football match. It's been a roller coaster. All the cliches you want to use. It's been really good fun. I've seen some great football. We've been in our stadium, our new stadium 
stadium. We're standing behind the goal. We're singing. It makes a lot of noise. Let's get ourselves, you know, another season in this league. The following season, we kind of build again and build again slowly and just do it that way. So, you know, it's been clever and it's just given us a lot of fun. And, you know, like I said, I'm looking forward to coming down to Southampton. I booked my train ticket today even. So I'll be down there in mid-afternoon on a Tuesday afternoon, as you've done, sort of sampling the wares of all various Southampton uh, ale houses and <laughs> food places and meeting up with mate, you know, Pete the Artful Dodger and Ian as well, who I go to all my England games with. So I'll be, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. If you'd asked me back in, say, October, I would have been very positive because I would have known that we'd had a set team. But what we found is that our, our first 11 team are very good. But with the injuries that we've had, it's uh, it's caused us a few problems. And I'm not making excuses that every team has injuries. But, you know, David Ray, our goalkeeper, being out for five months has caused us massive problems. Him and his relationship with his defence, we've gone from probably like the third best defence in the league to probably like the fourth or fifth worst defence in the league. That's been quite a difficult thing for us because we were built on a pillar of strong defence. But the other player that went missing was Ayer, Christopher Ayer, who's a brilliant player, a Rolls-Royce yeah. of a centre-back, um, carries the ball out from the back, really cool and calm. And he went out injured in, I think it was mid-October. So he's been out for a couple of months as well. And that's really damaged us massively. But he's uh, he's going to play um, in the Cup this weekend. And uh, and so, fingers crossed, if he comes through with that, he's due to start against Southampton. So the positive thing is that these players are coming back. Brian Mbumo has been injured as well, who's a really key player up front. He's been injured as well, and he might be back against Southampton. So to answer your question, I don't really know. It depends on who plays. But if the players who look like they're coming back do play, I think we'll give you a bit of a game, and I'll be quite happy if we can get a point, get a draw down there. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the time, Billy. We really do appreciate it. That's Billy Graham from Besotted Brentford, at Besotted on Twitter. Yeah, cheers, Billy. Thank you for joining us and thanks to Ben for doing that as well. We'll get on to the uh, Brentford game in just a moment. I want to talk about the uh, the FA Cup yesterday and uh, the win at Swansea. Steve, it should have been a nice easy win, but that sending off kind of changed everything again. Yeah, I mean, we were looking very comfortable. Swansea had offered the precise sum of zero um, up until up until that point where where Valerie completely misjudges the ball over over the top of his head and then decides it I mean it's clearly just a reflex isn't it to um, pull Obafemi back um, when actually Obafemi's first touch had sent the ball straight through to Forster, Fraser Forster anyway but yeah and um, no no arguments with with either of his bookings really and from that point it was kind of backs backs the walls to an extent but I mean to be honest until Swansea equalized with what what was that about 15 minutes ago mm. they didn't look like they were going to score and then all of a sudden they just just managed to um, get that pass between the lines for the guy running around the back absolutely spot on and and yeah they 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 got the equalizer and a I mean, little bit a little bit fortunate really that um, Fraser Forster's foot saved us from uh, from a 90th minute defeat because I mean at that point you kind of thought well with 10 men we've offered nothing going forward at, um, at this point um, the substitutions that we made seemed to kind of take the stability out of the game that we had and you thought and especially one and then once they went in front in extra time you thought well that, that's that's us done um, we might as well might as well just kind of Play the play this extra time period out and just save legs. But fair play, I mean, scoring literally straight from kickoff was was pretty impressive. I mean, not so impressive if you're if you're of a Swansea pers- uh, persuasion. That was, I mean, it's the, it's the sort of stuff we'd do, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was. Oh, it was extraordinary that the subs the subs that came on in in the second half of normal time didn't really get involved at all, and then all of a sudden in extra time they're front and center. And um, and Elianusi and Shane Long were the were the difference makers, really. Yeah, and it, it was it was slightly strange that then, having got the lead back, all of a sudden Swansea then reverted to having no clue what they were doing. Yeah, all things considered, Glenn, a great result. And uh, who'd have thought we'd be talking about Shane Long scoring the winner? Absolutely. Well, you, whatever your opinion of Shane Long as a footballer, you you, you can't deny him his, his sort of moment in the sun scoring the winning goal yesterday. Is is it's great. It's great. Great for him. He, you know, he must be here thinking, "Well, I'm never going to get a game this season." And to to come on and make a difference is um, it's brilliant. And he he played well in the last game he played, as we covered last week. You know, he played well against Spurs. So uh, mm. obviously, getting on the pitch a few times has obviously boosted his confidence a little bit. And uh, no, it's great to see him. Um, you know, set up one and score another. So uh, yeah, good stuff. I always feel with cup games is that. Basically, you look at the score, and that's it, and nothing else matters. It's it, you. It's about getting through, 
and it's about getting into the next round and, and, and nothing else matters. We've done that. We've played 90 minutes out of 120 with 10 men. We've had to take our best midfielder out of the midfield and put him at right back. You go back to a couple of weeks ago to the West Ham game where we conceded goals and then went straight up the other end and scored, did it twice. It's one of the things that I always complained about last season was our reaction to any sort of adversity, be it letting in a goal, getting a red card, you know, anything like that. We are getting better at it. We're, we're not just caving in now and capitulating. And, and yesterday was another another example of that. You know, we're 2-1 down in extra time with 10 men. And and even the first goal we conceded, you know, a lot of teams would have thought, oh, Christ, we've only got 10 men. We're now probably going to have to do extra time. And and that would have been a downer as well. But, you know, we've kept going and, and we've won the game away from home with loads of players missing, you know, conquered adversity during the game. So it's, it's um, yeah, it was overall, it was... Um, yeah, it wasn't pretty at times. I mean, the, you know, the basically the bit where we were from the sending off until Swansea equalised wasn't wasn't great, and that we didn't create anything going forward. But having said that, we still missed a couple of sitters. I mean, how Stevens missed that header <laughs> is just it's just beyond me. I was I was up off the chair then, waiting to um, laugh at the BBC Wales commentators who um, got on my wick all game. Interesting, but, weren't uh, they? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they, I mean, it's when they started laughing at Bednarek for the angle. <laughs> I just thought it's not very professional, but no. but but there you go. But overall, you know, we're in, we're in the hat. We've got a decent draw in the next round, and yeah, happy days. Yeah, definitely, Dan. One of the longest afternoons of your professional career for a while. The thing I think concerned me the most was perhaps the comments that Ralph made after the game about Livramento. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and, and the injury? Because that that to me is more of a of a worry. Yeah. So he um, he he was obviously asked about Tino and his kind of whereabouts and how long he may be out for and just said he's got a, a meniscus injury they don't still they still don't know that the kind of full extent and whether it will be okay without surgery or whether it will need surgery and obviously he referenced his son Patrick who he said was out for a year which I guess is probably worst case scenario I don't think we should kind of put Tino and Ralph's son into the same bracket because people I've spoken to today were we're quite keen to stress that we act, we don't know the extent. It may be okay. It, it may need surgery. We, they just don't know. They, I think the next kind of 48 hours will be important for that in, in terms of them kind of getting a full report and deciding what the, what the next best course of action is. Uh, obviously, the club are taking a cautious approach given his age and kind of how, how important he's been. They don't want to unnecessarily risk him and, and play him if, if there's any chance that, you know, it would damage it further. So, it sounds like they're just waiting for the full story before saying, okay, this no surgery, this is what we're going to do. Or, right, okay, you need surgery, this is what we're going to do. Mm. Let's move on to Brentford on Tuesday night because obviously the uh, the injuries are going to dictate the lineup pretty much. And also the extra time, I think, is probably going to have a bit of an impact, Steve. How do you see Tuesday night playing out against Brentford? We know they've got a, a Rolls-Royce of a centre-back, but uh, what about the rest of the team? Well, I mean, it's it's quite, quite imp- incredible, isn't it, how we kind of almost almost bemoans the the sheer number of fullbacks that we that we've now accrued and yet we we're now not going to have a right back for this game on Tuesday because obviously the vagaries of the way the suspensions work for different competitions and whether it's whether it's from a red card or whether it's accumulation of bookings de- determines which, which competitions you can serve your ban in so now obviously both uh, Walker Peters and Valerie are unavailable for Tuesday. Mm. Uh, Tino, we assume, is in, is is not going to play Tuesday. I mean, if it if it is a proper minor one, then I don't know. Would they? I, I would assume they probably won't risk him. But I mean, you might you might look at it and think, well, actually, we don't have any any other options unless you want to throw in throw in Prowse in, in there. But to be honest, I, I, yeah, I mean, you could play Jack Stevens there. That's that's an option, although. The, pro- the problem with doing that is it does mean that he is a very, very obvious tar- target <laughs> for the opposition coming down that that wing, and it it then, of course, also reduce because we're we're so reliant on our fullbacks for for attacking width. I do want. I wonder whether we might actually go might go three at the back, and play Prousey as a wing back, maybe, um, maybe even Teller as a as right wing back. That might be a might be a viable option but of course we're not going to have we're going to have what probably one tra- one training session on on to work on work on shape for this game so i can't imagine we're going to be sort of reinventing the wheel too much but yes it's going to be a case of seeing who's seeing who's fit and available i i, I don't know whether um shay adams will be 
uh, fit again after after his COVID case. Who else hasn't been available? Forgotten now. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously Romeo's Romeo's fit. I was, I was surprised with the with the side we put out on Saturday. Actually, I was surprised how how strong, strong it was. I yeah. I I expected probably Diallo to play instead of Romeo in the centre of midfield on Saturday. So I don't know whether Ralph just thought, well, now let's let's get this done and then um, kind of worry about worry about other games further down the line. But I mean, we've got options up front, haven't we, with uh, Brozier and the informed Shane Long. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> Glenn, how do you see this one panning out? Because obviously, do you think it's a better time to be playing Brentford because of the momentum that we've got? Or are we in a worse situation because of injuries and, and COVID <laughs> at the moment? Well, it's ironic, isn't it? That, you know, they're going to have a stronger side than they would have had on the original date. And we're mm. not. Yeah, ain't that ironic? I didn't have a problem with Brentford cancelling the game in the first first instance until I saw them play Manchester City with what was what was basically a reserve team. So, mm. uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's another argument for another day. I'll be interested to see who we got in goal because McCarthy's fit now, but Fraser's done absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever. So, if it was down to me, I'd leave Fraser in goal because I think it, it sends the wrong message if he um, if he gets left out as soon as. Um, as soon as McCarthy's fit again. So that'll, that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't see us doing anything other than putting Ward-Prowse at right back and bringing Diallo into the centre midfield. I, I just I just don't see us doing anything different to that. I mean, I think Diallo has played fullback before, so that's a possibility, mm. I guess. Brentford tend to play with wingbacks. So, the, the, you know, the key to playing against the team with wingbacks is always to try and force the wingbacks back into a flat back five and then you can sort of control the midfield. Steve, let's get a prediction from you for Brentford game because I know people enjoy it when we get these wrong. Um, how do you see it panning out Tuesday? Um, just gut feel. We, we've got a, yeah, we've, we've got, got a bit of a good, good head of steam at home now, haven't we? So, um, yeah, I think, I think a, a 2-1 two, two win. Okay. Dan, how do you think? I was going to go 2-0. Yep, fair enough. Uh, Glenn, I'm going to. I'm quite confident about this one, so I'll go for it. I'll go for a three-one win, um, as as long as we find a way to control the midfield. Because you know Brentford have uh, they've got a guy Norgard in midfield who always looks quite impressive every time I see him play. So if we let him play, we'll have pro- we'll have problems. Um, but if we if we can get on top well, of the he, midfield, he, he went off injured in the Villa game the other week. No, so did I don't he? Know whether, you know, I don't know if he's available. Yeah, they'll mm. probably cancel the game again then. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. If we win, if we win the midfield, we'll win the game. So okay, three one, three one to us. So that's Tuesday night. Quick look at uh, Saturday and Wolves away. The only team to beat us at St Mary's this season. Steve, um, in a nutshell, what have you made of, of their start to the season? Their team. I mean, their their results have been excellent, but my God, they are so tedious to watch. <laughs> they are just eye bleedingly boring. Which, when given the given the sort of quality of the technical players they've got in midfield and up front, is not great, really, but it's a system that's that's worked for them. Um, under under both the Portuguese managers they've had, Nuno and uh, Bruno Lager, have both had this um, this system of being very sort of negative defensively. You set up set up in a bank of five, and then um, three or four more across the midfield, and you strangle the life out of the game. And and in the second half, the opposition gets bored, and you pick them off. Hmm. And that's it's worked a treat for them. I mean, it worked worked well for. For Wolves at Old Trafford the other night, and um, United Man United fell right fell right into the trap as we did um, when we played them at St Mary's. So if we can avoid that, if we if we get a far, if we can get a fast start and make them come at us, then we can we can pick them off on the break, and then all of a sudden the kind of the tempo changes, and and I don't think they can play the way that they want to play then. But yeah, we'll see. Glenn, you described the home game as a depressing crash back down to earth. So could, <laughs> yeah, can we expect a better outcome than Molyneux? Well, I think when we when we played them, they hadn't won a game, had they? That's you know, right. they yeah. They, yeah, they hadn't won a game and we hadn't either. And it was one that we, you know, sort of targeted as this has got to be the first win. And we were abysmal, really. And when you play teams who are as kind of rigid as Wolves are, you, you can't afford to give them anything. And the first goal is absolutely key. And, you know, just reinforcing what Steve said really if if we can if we can get that first goal and make them come out then then we've got a chance because you know got a chance of getting something because on on paper you look at their team and you know the two in the center of midfield Martino and Neves are not not the best defensively Martino's 35 so you'd think we should be able to get around them and 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 do something there back three is usually Kilman Cody and Saiz who are all sort of big uncompromising 
types of you know types of defenders who just make you know they do their job they 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 just make it very very difficult to score and the, and they're unlikely to give you anything mm. so we've got to make sure we're the same i assume is Salasu back for these two games or yep. does he miss he, he he's back for yeah so you know that'll be important so uh, again it's um it's a game that we could get something out of but we you know we have to do the basics well and we have to deal with you know Triore when he yeah. comes on, which he which he always does, and he always causes a panic, even if he doesn't score or assist himself, he he always causes some sort of chaos that that, that we have to deal with. But uh, if he doesn't leave this week in the transfer window, that was one of the rumours, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Prediction from you, Glenn. What do you reckon? I'll go for a one-one draw. Okay, Steve. Oh, nil-nil. And Dan, not a great trip for you, is it? What do you reckon? I would have gone nil-nil, but I'll go one-nil Saints. <laughs> Before we finish, Dan, obviously January transfer window is open. Are you expecting much business for Southampton or can you um, enjoy a bit of a quieter week this week? Uh, <laughs> you never really know, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect them to kind of be going out there to make a play for Mbappe or anything like that. But if if there was a chance to do another kind of Tino deal, mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they looked to kind of exploit that. Or as, yeah, I think clubs only do business in January for two reasons. One, they've got loads of injuries and they need someone else in or they think they're going to get relegated. I I think Southampton have worked hard on the squad depth. Yes, it's been tested now with the, the kind of fullback situation, but I mean, you can't really help COVID and the, the red card was was foolish. So I, I'm not in the camp that they should be going up to sign another right back. I think you just kind of get on with it. And when they when Walker Peters returns and Tino returns and you're kind of fine. But if there's a chance to do something like another team, I wouldn't be surprised if if they did, but I'm not expecting much, to be honest. Okay, brilliant. Um, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Glenn. I must say thanks to Ben as well for catching up with Billy Grant from the Brentford Fans Podcast earlier. A quick shout out to some of our loyal and much-loved patrons in the Matt Letizier tier, Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy and Phil Cook. And in the Francis Benali tier, we've got Nick Reed. To find out more about becoming a TSP patron and the benefits that come with that, do check out the website. And don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening. On the socials, we are at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, and you can always drop us an email during the week via the website. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.